0: Hey everyone, and welcome back to the Virtual Voyage on Radio Free Hillsdale 101.7 FM. I'm your host, Abigail Snyder, and this is the Armchair Travel Show where you don't have to leave your comfort zone. If your comfort zone is your car, you stay there. If your comfort zone is your dorm room, you stay there. And if your comfort zone is your living room, you stay there. Today, we have a special episode planned. We've recently been touring Masada and Engedi here in Israel. And I want to make good use of our gas money and stay up here in this region to see another site about 30 minutes away, Qumran, which is where the Dead Sea Scrolls were found. We were introduced to the Dead Sea Scrolls when we were at the Israel Museum, and we saw fragments of them inside the Shrine of the Book. Well, today's tour will be very special, as we'll see where those scrolls were discovered and learn more about Qumran. But I also won't be your main tour guide today because we're going to be joined by Dr. Jody Magnus, Dr. Magnus is an archaeologist who has been a part of 20 excavations in Israel and Greece. In fact, she was co-director of the Masada excavations back in 1995. She's a professor at the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill, which is a school that heads up many archaeological digs here in Israel. She's published 11 books, and one of her award-winning books that highlights her knowledge of the place we're headed to today is the Archaeology of Qumran and the Dead Sea Scrolls. We're really in for a treat to have a leading expert on Qumran and the Dead Sea Scrolls join us today. Well, I believe Dr. Magnus is already inside of Qumran, and we're just pulling up now. So let's hustle inside and meet Dr. Jody Magnus. There she is, Dr. Magnus. Thanks for joining us today to explore this fascinating site.
1: Thank you. It's nice to meet you.
0: So before we actually start walking through the site here, I'd love for you to share a little bit about yourself and what you've done here in Israel as part of your career as an archaeologist.
1: Oh, wow. (laughs) Well, before that, make sure that you have your hats on and you have water bottles with you and comfortable walking shoes (laughs) and plenty of sunscreen. Oh, indeed. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) So, um... I lived and, and studied and worked in Israel for a very long time, and that experience included doing my undergraduate degree in archaeology and history at the Hebrew University of Jerusalem. Um, and then I worked for three years as a field guide and naturalist at the En Gedi Field School uh, and spent three years um, taking groups on hikes to sites and uh, natural attractions along the shore of the Dead Sea. So uh, in the course of that, I became very familiar with uh, the site of Qumran and with Masada. And uh, eventually later, after I finished my PhD in classical archeology span at the University of Pennsylvania, um, after that, a lot of my research happened to focus on both sites of Qumran and Masada.
0: That is fantastic. Dr. Magnus, we are so excited to have you with us today to tour this fantastic site. So to start, why don't we begin walking along the path to see some of the ancient ruins? And as we're walking, go ahead and take us back to Qumran from thousands of years ago. Who lived in Qumran? Why did they settle here? You know, it seems to be a bit of an odd spot as we're looking around. We're in the middle of the desert. I don't see any water supply, so, so comment a little bit on that for us, if you will.
1: Right. You're, you're absolutely right. It's a, it's a strange site to have a settlement um, because it is in the middle of the desert. There are no sources of fresh water in the immediate vicinity. Uh, and that automatically tells you that it's a special site, that it's not your usual village or something like that. Um, thanks to the fact that the Dead Sea Scrolls were found in the caves surrounding Qumran, and thanks to the fact that we can associate the scrolls with the site of Qumran, we can use the information from the scrolls to inform us about the nature of the community that lived at the site, Um, we can therefore determine that this was in fact not a usual kind of a settlement, but in fact it was the center of a group of Jews who were usually described as a sect, so sectarian Jews, and uh, the sect is, is identified by many scholars including myself with the Essenes. Who uh, are mentioned in some of our ancient sources from this period. So, for example, the ancient Jewish historian Josephus tells us about Essenes, or the ancient Jewish philosopher Philo tells us about Essenes. So, because of the correspondence of information from the scrolls and some of the features in the archaeology of the site of Qumran and the proximity of the scrolls in the caves to the site of Qumran and the correspondences with and our ancient authors, many scholars identify this, not just as a sectarian settlement or center, but specifically as an Essene site.
0: Wow, okay. So we talked about that a little bit here on the virtual voyage in the past, but it's nice to have an expert kind of confirming a little bit of what I've I've told them in the past here about the Essenes uh, living at Qumran. So now we've just made it to this place where we're standing in front of these stone remains. And they would have served, I'm assuming, as, as living spaces, storehouses and such. Um, but you're the archaeologists, ex- our expert. So so tell right. us, what are we, we seeing here? Because to all of us, the stones just look like a bunch of, of leftovers right. that allow us to yes, see an that's, outline.
1: That's right. Yes, that's what they usually look like to people who are not archaeologists. That's right. Um, one of the things that's so interesting about Qumran, you know, I, I like to say that I love to take people to visit Qumran because whenever they get there, they're always disappointed. And uh, they're they're always disappointed because, number one, uh, many tourists, when they visit Qumran, have first gone to Masada, further to the south, and visited Herod's palaces there, which are visually spectacular. And uh, then, of course, you have all the buildup about the Dead Sea Scrolls, which pretty much everybody has heard of. And you get to Qumran and it's this very small and unimpressive looking site. Uh, And um, that's one of the things that makes it so interesting. So first of all, there's like no interior decoration. There's no wall paintings or mosaic floors or any of the sort of things that you see at Masada, for example, Um, but also very interesting. There are no private houses in this site. So that means that again, makes it different from your usual village Uh, instead Uh, all of the rooms in the settlement either were used for communal purposes, like communal dining rooms, for example, uh, or as workshops, for example. But there are no private houses. And there is something of a, you know, there are a lot of debates about Qumran. So in the sort of scholarly circles, there are questions about where then did the people who used the settlement, where did they live, right? Where did they sleep? Um, it may be that some of the rooms in the settlement, which had a second story level, not all of them did, may be that some of those second story rooms were used as bedrooms for sleeping areas, although there's very little space for sleeping inside the settlement. So you'd have to estimate a very small population. And then there are many scholars like myself and I follow in this, the excavator of the site of Qumran, whose name was Roland Vaux, who think that most, if not all of the members of this settlement or this community lived not inside the settlement, meaning slept, not inside the settlement, but outside it, in some of the caves that surround it, in tents and huts that didn't leave much in the way of archeological remains. Um, so it's a very, it, it's again, it's got a very different character from, your, from the usual sites that, that we excavate in this period.
0: Well, that is just, wow, amazing. Uh, So much knowledge that you're sharing with us that I never knew about, and I hope the virtual voyagers are are learning so much too as well because, well, I certainly am. So let's go ahead and head over to the cave area of Qumran because from there we can look out and see what the caves uh, look like. And and inside one of the caves was where the Dead Sea Scrolls were found. So let's continue over this way here on the virtual voyage on Radio Free Hillsdale, 101.7 FM. Now, Dr. Magnus, we know of Qumran, generally speaking. Most people know that Qumran is where the Dead Sea Scrolls were found, or at least they've heard of the Dead Sea Scrolls. But at Qumran, what are some significant excavations that have been completed besides the Dead Sea Scrolls?
1: Um, not, I'm not sure what you mean, uh, besides the Dead Sea Scrolls. So if you could just clarify.
0: That. Sure, sure, sure. So have they found any synagogues here or, or any, any pottery? I know you're an expert on pottery. Oh, have they I found see what anything that's, that's been significant right. there?
1: Sure, so so just to clarify, the Dead Sea Scrolls, what we call the Dead Sea Scrolls, I, I, there, I could go on a little bit about this actually, because um, many scholars prefer to call the scrolls that were, let me back up even further. Scrolls that are popularly called the Dead Sea Scrolls were found in 11 caves surrounding the site of Qumran, not at Qumran itself, not inside the settlement, but in 11 caves surrounding the, the site And those 11 caves yielded the remains, mostly fragmentary of approximately a thousand different scrolls that had originally been deposited in those 11 caves. Um, And inside those caves and inside some of the other caves that didn't yield scrolls, there are other finds like pieces of pottery, you know, stuff like that. Um, Inside the settlement, there are no, no scrolls were found. And it's probably because the settlement was destroyed by fire at the end of its existence. And it, had there been any scrolls, which there may have been, they would have burned in the fire. But what you find inside the settlement then are not scrolls, but, uh, you know, it's sort of actually the usual things that we find in archeological excavations in this period, lots and lots of pottery, coins, pieces of glass, you know, nails as, you know, iron nails, things like that. Um, so, So that's what we have from from inside the settlement and the finds from the settlement indicate that it was occupied in the first century BC and the first century AD up until the year 68 AD. The reason I was gonna go on a little bit about Dead Sea Scrolls is because the scrolls from those 11 caves around Qumran are popularly called the Dead Sea Scrolls and that's a term that I also use in my book as you pointed out, but many scholars prefer to call them Qumran scrolls and the reason is we have ancient scrolls not connected with the site at Qumran, not connected with the group that lived there that have been found elsewhere around the Dead Sea. And technically those two could be called Dead Sea Scrolls. And in fact, sometimes they are, but it's very misleading. And so actually within the last month, you may have read reports of newly discovered Dead Sea Scrolls and those were not Qumran scrolls. Those were scrolls found actually to the south of En Gedi that were associated with Jewish rebels who took refuge, or Jewish refugees actually, who took refuge in caves in that area at the time of the Bar Kokhba revolt, which is about 60 to 65 years after the time of Qumran. Um, and so hence the qualification of the term Dead Sea Scrolls.
0: Wow, so you mentioned that there were about, did I hear you right, a thousand other fragments that they've found of scrolls? Not a thousand fragments.
1: Fragments representing what originally were approximately a thousand different scrolls
0: wow, that had been wow.
1: deposited in these eleven caves. So those a thousand approximately a thousand scrolls had disintegrated into many more thousands of little fragments.
0: So let's talk a little bit about on, on that note. We know the Dead Sea Scrolls obviously contain some of the oldest, the oldest, uh, the oldest manuscripts from the Bible that that we have, or rather, the Tanakh, I believe. So, with these a thousand little scrolls, what are we getting from them? Like with the Dead Sea Scrolls, where it was it was so significant, are these little scrolls holding the same significance? Are they from the same time period?
1: You mean the the fragments that I just the referred to? The fragments, yes. Yeah, so they're not so they're not little scrolls. They're, okay. you have to imagine that that originally. So let me clarify that you have to imagine that originally. Uh, The people who lived at Qumran took complete scrolls, uh, apparently approximately 1,000, not all at the same time necessarily, and deposited them probably for safekeeping in 11 of the caves surrounding Qumran. And in the intervening 2,000 years, due to environmental conditions, damage caused by, you know, animals wandering in and out or whatever, the scrolls disintegrated that that happens to organic materials, right, over time. The scrolls, which are organic materials, they're parchment, which is processed animal hide, disintegrated into little fragments. So what you have are not little scrolls, what you have are small fragments or fragments surviving, mostly fragmentary. We have a, a small number of relatively complete scrolls, but most of the scrolls disintegrated into lots of little fragments. And so what you have are fragments, and it's like a jigsaw puzzle in some cases, right? belonging to, and they don't always fit together, belonging to what originally were a thousand, approximately a thousand different scrolls that had been deposited in those 11 caves.
0: And would these scrolls have been maybe portions from the law, portions of the Tanakh, right. do they know?
1: Yeah, so, um, so most, the overwhelming majority of the scrolls are either cop- early copies of the Hebrew Bible, which you might call the Old Testament, right? The books of the Hebrew Bible or Old Testament. An individual book. So so you didn't have a it's they're scrolls. They're not a codex, they're not a book between two covers. So each book is a scroll, like right? say so you have a scroll that's the book of Isaiah, or you have a scroll that's the book of Deuteronomy, right? Like that. Um, so we have uh a, approximately a quarter of the Dead Sea Scrolls are are copies, early copies of books of the Hebrew Bible. Uh and uh then uh, a large number of the remaining scrolls are related to biblical literature, by which I mean their translations, like, you know, Aramaic or Greek translations of the biblical books, uh, their commentaries on the biblical books, right, like like that. Um, and then a smaller number of, of scrolls are um, are what we call sectarian literature, meaning literature that was that was written by members of this sect not necessarily members living at Qumran because there were members of the sect that lived all over the country but this literature was written by members of the sect and describes their particular beliefs and practices and worldview.
0: So on that note of of these these sects, right, and we've talked about the Essenes, specifically at Qumran, can you comment a little bit, because this is something where my knowledge lacks, and I haven't been able to share it with the virtual voyagers, but can you comment a little bit on maybe what the Essenes believe, what made them that specific Mm -hmm. sect of Judaism? Right. So
1: uh, one of the things that happens, this
0: is the period
1: that we're talking about, which is basically the time of Jesus, which we call in Jewish history the late Second Temple period, the, the period shortly before the destruction of the second Jerusalem temple in 70 AD. Um, this is a period when there were uh, a number of different groups, movements, sects in Judaism. There, and, and this by the way, includes Jesus and his followers, right? They're one of these groups and they're all Jewish by which I mean, they all uh, observe biblical law. They all worship the God of Israel as their national deity. Um, they all believed that the way to worship the God of Israel is to offer sacrifices to him in his house, which is the Jerusalem temple. But they disagreed with each other on specific points of interpretation and practice of biblical law, and that's what distinguished them. So, this particular group, the Essenes, believed that the current priesthood in the Jerusalem temple was impure and unfit to serve. They were polluting the temple through impure sacrifices. And by doing things the wrong way, which had the most serious consequence, driving the God of Israel away from His people. If God's not with you, then you're not going to be protected, right? He's not going to be there to protect you. It's a very serious consequence. So therefore, they split away from the rest of, of you know Jewish society. Although some of them lived again in other different parts of the country, and um, and constituted themselves their 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 group as a sort of a substitute temple or really more accurately a desert tabernacle and awaited the day when they would regain, when they would gain control of the Jerusalem temple and institute the sacrifices as they saw fit. And uh, they actually believed that they were, this was an apocalyptic sect that believed that they were living at the end of days and that, very soon, and maybe it was already even underway, that God's kingdom would be established on earth. And in that regard, they share an apocalyptic outlook, for example, with Jesus and his followers, right, who also believe similarly there are very significant differences between this group and, and Jesus from what we read in the gospel accounts. But, but there is a similarity in this kind of apocalyptic outlook.
0: So here on the virtual voyage on Radio Free Hillsdale, 101.7 FM, We're definitely not going to hike over to the caves. It's quite a journey. I've never done it myself. But we have a great visual here of Qumran's ancient settlement back to the left and the caves in front of us. And as we're standing here, Dr. Magnus, I think there's a major question that needs to be answered. And that is, why were the Dead Sea Scrolls such a significant discovery for archaeology? I mean, what did they provide that other manuscripts up to this point hadn't given archaeologists and historians?
1: Well, um. Yeah, geez. I think the answer to that question probably depends on who you ask, but, uh, but you know, um, the Dead Sea Scrolls are fairly unique in the archaeology of Israel in that uh, even though we think of Israel as being fairly arid, the conditions overall are not that dry, and therefore we don't have a lot of organic materials, including scrolls, preserved. Uh, this is in contrast, for example, to Egypt. So first of all, in terms of the country it was a unique find finding this number of ancient scrolls but of course the the and and when they were originally found i think and this is probably why people still you know think the dead sea scrolls are important they think of some connection with jesus because they they date the time of jesus But in fact the dead sea scrolls have nothing to do directly or even really that much indirectly with jesus they're associated with a different Jewish group or sect of that period. So they sort of indirectly shed light on Judaism in the time of Jesus, kind of providing some general background. But the real importance, again, is in, uh, in you know, the study of the Hebrew Bible, uh, literature that is related to biblical literature, and learning more about this particular Jewish group or sect in the late second temple period. And it, it goes from there, there there are all sorts of implications for Jewish history, the study of Rabbinic Judaism, and so on.
0: So, Dr. Magnus, we're almost out of our time here on the tour, which is just very sad because it's been a fantastic uh, tour with you, and appreciate you taking the time to do this. But we're standing on this path, and and one thing we've talked about on the virtual voyage is a few of the stories that float around concerning how the Dead Sea Scrolls were found uh, by a shepherd or whatnot. So just as kind of a fun concluding question, what's your opinion on the how of the Dead Sea Scrolls discovery? You mean how they were found? How they were found.
1: Uh, look, I mean, we have, the, they were, I don't really have strong opinions about this. Uh, there are different versions of the story of the discovery. There's no doubt that that the first scrolls were discovered by accident by Bedouin Bedouins, these local nomads in the area who happened to wander into a cave, the cave that we call Cave One, um, you know, the exact details uh, are a little bit murky because, you know, all we have are the later stories and recollections of Bedouins, which don't always, they're not always consistent with each other. But um, overall, big picture, that's, you know, that's, that's the story of the discovery.
0: Wow. Well, Dr. Magnus, thank you for joining us today and sharing your knowledge uh, with us. I- I've learned so much and you've enhanced uh, the tour here at Qumran for myself and I know the virtual voyagers as well.
1: Thank you. And hopefully we can all actually travel to Qumran in person in the near future. That is definitely the goal.
0: Thanks for listening to this week's episode of The Virtual Voyage, the armchair travel show with me, Abigail, on Radio Free Hillsdale, 101.7 FM. I hope you'll tune back in next time as we continue to explore the land of Israel here in the Dead Sea region. It has so much to offer. I can't wait to see you next time on the Virtual Voyage!